Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. But as I started talking to my friends about giving, I realized I didn't trust nonprofits, I didn't trust charities. There was a huge disenchantment, uh, and the biggest problem people had was was a question around money. Where does my money actually go? All of the data from our water projects around the world, uh, the photos, the GPS proof, the names of the community, and we could be completely transparent about where every single project was. I'm very pleased today to introduce Scott Harrison. Scott is founder of Charity Water, a non-profit organization based in the US that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Since 2006, Charity Water has raised over $170 million and funded more than 13,000 water projects in 22 countries. It's more than 700,000 donors worldwide. Charity Water has pioneered new standards of transparency on its project work and has developed a funding model where 100% of public donations goes directly to programs on the ground. Thank you very much, Scott, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs today. It's an honor to speak to you and I'm looking forward to an opportunity to hear a little bit about your experience and some of the insights and learnings on your journey. Um, a good place maybe to start, if you could tell me a little bit, just kind of an overview of your organization and the scope of your activities today. Sure. So Charity Water is uh, based here in New York City. We are a uh, nonprofit bringing clean and safe drinking water to people uh, now in about 24 nations around the world. Uh, started eight years ago uh, on a couch and I just really wanted to try to reinvent the way people thought about charity, the way that they gave, uh, as well as solve, you know, what we we thought was one of the biggest problems uh, in the world, which was uh, the lack of access uh, globally for about 715, sorry, 750 million people to clean water. So we, uh, you know, we've done a bunch of stuff over eight years, but we've managed to raise about 170 million dollars uh, through the generosity of 700,000 people and fund, gosh, a lot of water projects that'll, that'll help over 5 million people get clean water in about 13,000 villages. Wow, that's very exciting. A great result in, in, over that time. Um, well, it seems that there, you know, it's, it's a huge problem, uh, clearly water, um, and, you know, on, on various levels and sanitation and availability of clean water. What, what would you say is it that makes, that's distinctive or, or different about your organization? Well, when we started out, you know, we were, you know, I was 30 years old, so I, I did not have experience uh, running a nonprofit. Uh, I didn't come out of the kind of international development scene. I was actually a nightclub promoter for 10 years. So I was, uh, I was a storyteller, I guess you could say, uh, but, but effectively getting people drunk uh, at very high price points uh, in, uh, in trendy clubs uh, in New York. So so, someone has to I, do it. I had, a, I had a big life change at 28 years old after 10 years in the business. And um, I, had, I had walked away from um, a Christian faith as a kid and just, you know, basically lived a destructive life of, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and gambling. And, uh, you know, and I, I picked up every vice that there was to pick up. So at, at 28, I, um, I just radically changed my life. Um, began to, you know, re-explore faith, re-explore service to the poor, which is something I'd just never done. And uh, I wound up selling all my possessions and and living in post-war Liberia. Uh, so I took my first trip to the African continent and 
uh, went into a, a post-war environment uh, with 14,000 UN peacekeeping troops, and I embedded with a group of humanitarian doctors. And I spent about two years volunteering for a pretty great group called Mercy Ships that just sailed a giant hospital ship up and down the coast of Africa and brought some of the best, most qualified doctors in the world uh, to meet the needs of people who just didn't have access to quality medical care. So it was there in Liberia that I learned about the water crisis. As I went into the villages, I saw people, uh, kids, uh, men, women, drinking from swamps, drinking from ponds, drinking the most disgusting water uh, that I wouldn't even give my dog and started learning about the link between the bad water or the lack of access to clean water and sanitation and all of the disease uh, that was just so pervasive in the country. So as I you know, thought about starting an organization, that's kind of how I came into the issue of water at 30 years old. But as I started talking to my friends about giving, I realized I didn't trust nonprofits. I didn't trust charities. There was a huge disenchantment. Uh, and the biggest problem people had was was a question around money. Where does my money actually go? How much of my money actually reaches the people you're saying uh, I am to help? And I thought this might be um, solved through just a, a unique business model. You know, what if we made a promise to the public that we would use 100% of their money without exception to, in, in our case, directly fund water projects, and somehow went and found another group of people to pay for all of the overhead. Um, overhead was necessary, but you know the public didn't trust charities, so let's not make it their problem. And then the second thing we would do is we would use the, the available technology to show people what their money did, to, to tie them and connect them to their impact. Uh, the way that we started there was uh, we were very fortunate to start Charity Water at the same time as Google Earth and Google Maps. And Google had given us this free place to put all of the data from our water projects around the world, uh, the photos, the GPS proof, the names of the community. And we could be completely transparent about where every single project was. Um, and, and we said, we'll never fund a project unless uh, you can actually go there. So you could uh, get a, a GPS unit from our site, and you could go to over 10,000 projects. It would probably take you eight years. But we've made that information public. And then kind of the third idea was just trying to build a beautiful brand and to use uh, good design and aspirational, positive storytelling uh, to really build this movement. Uh, a writer named uh, Nick Kristoff had written in, in the New York Times that uh, people were out there peddling toothpaste with more sophistication than all the world's life-saving causes. And I just thought that was so true, and it was so sad, and it was so broken. Uh, where was the Apple of the charitable space? Where were the Nikes? Where were these kind of aspirational brands? Um, you had big charities, but... But there was nothing like that in the space. And so that was really what we were trying to do different, um, create a com uh, compelling business model where 100% of the money went, people could see where their money went, and we built a beautiful brand, and then uh, use that empowered community, that generous community, to tackle one of the biggest issues facing the poor, which was lack of access to clean water and sanitation. Well, that's very interesting, um, the different pillars there and the different uh, ways in which you're differentiating uh, what you do, I guess, based on your 
you know observations about what what was wasn't working or you know some of the challenges I guess uh, traditional charities faced. I mean, yeah. do, do you? And I'll, I'll you know, say that you know it really worked. So the first five years of of the organization's growth, we were averaging ninety percent year over year growth. Uh, over that time, the compound uh, giving in across the sector was net negative. So you know we were looking at you know four or five hundred percent growth versus um, actually a shrinking sector. So you know we we saw uh, some of those new ideas you know really play out in in just dollar donations and in the, the quick growth of the organization. You talked about the, the the transparency and the importance of transparency, uh, and I guess that came out of an insight about uh, maybe a lack of trust or certain questions that people have about uh, charities and where the money is going. What else has been, would you say, integral and key to your success in raising such a substantial sum of money over the last eight years? I think we have built a culture of storytelling. Uh, people, people respond to stories. You know, we think in stories, and we're also very visual communicators. Uh, you know, it's one thing for me to tell you uh, about you know, hey, a kid in Ethiopia drinking dirty water. And it's another for me to show you, uh, that child, or, or even make a video about her life when she gets up in the morning, when she puts uh, the pot on her back, when she walks six hours in the hot sun to finally arrive at a source um, that might make you think if, if that was your child, if that was your brother or sister. So I think the organization has just always had a language of visual storytelling, visual communication. Uh, and it's it's not expensive. I mean, you know, that's the beauty. We've made four or five hundred videos now, and you know, it's just something a bunch of us know how to do. We just had a, a team member shoot and edit an entire video uh, on his uh, on his iPhone. Um, so you know, the, the cost has come down of of so many of these things. So I'd say that's 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 one of the big keys. I think you know, just the model. You know, this hundred percent model has has turned out to be very powerful for us. Uh, it's also very, very difficult and very challenging. So kind of a warning here. I typically tell people, you know, it's one of the craziest things we ever did, and um, I don't recommend that other organizations adopt it, not because, you know, I want us to keep a, a competitive advantage, but because it's really hard. All of the money that we raise publicly, we can't touch. We can't make payroll with. We can't pay for the office. And we've had to go and fight and, and tell a different story and find visionary donors who actually want to pay for overhead and now support the 70 staff uh, to make cherry water happen every day full-time here in New York. So it, it is it is really difficult. It has been key to our success. It's been key to the problem we were trying to solve. But it's not something I go out there and, and you know, and preach because, you know, it's, it's very difficult. You have to effectively start two organizations with slightly different stories uh, at the same time from zero, and then you have to run them in perfect balance. Uh, it's been incredibly challenging, and, and we've, you know, we've always managed to make it work, but, uh, you know, not something uh, that's for everyone. Right, right. Can you tell me a little bit about the fundraising that uh, to cover overhead? Who, 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 who uh, what is your uh, funding group there? Is this the project which is called The Well? Um, and and, and uh, yeah. can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I'll tell you a story. We almost ran out of money about a year and a half in. So we'd raised a couple million dollars for water projects. You know, the people were responding to this idea of 100% of the money going. But I just hadn't figured out 
how to um, you know, how to really tell that story that our staff were necessary uh, that the overhead you know was really important. So uh, we were at a point I think we had about five weeks left in the bank to make payroll, and uh, I you know had had very little faith uh, to be quite honest. And at that moment, um, what I did know was that I was not going to touch. The, uh, the money that we'd raised for the water project. I mean, we could have just dipped into that water account and, you know, run the business for a long time, but we'd made this promise, and, and it never once crossed our mind that we would, you know, touch a penny of the money allocated for water projects. So, thankfully, at that moment, uh, I met a stranger, actually, from Britain, a guy named Michael Birch, who was a, an entrepreneur that had founded a social network named Bebo. And I had a two-hour meeting with him. I explained where the organization was in a year and a half. I explained the vision and just this difficulty in finding people to care about the overhead side. Um, but yet, at the same time, the mass public was really responding. We were seeing their, their trust being restored. So uh, he left the meeting, and I, I didn't think he even liked me at the time. I didn't think the meeting went particularly well. But he left the meeting, and he wired a million dollars into the bank account that needed it. Uh, and we went from a few weeks of funding to over a year. With that runway, uh, we began to build a three-year giving program called The Well. And I've told Michael, um, you know, he's become a dear friend and has been with me to many, many countries now, uh, even more than the money. I think it was just him believing in me, the entrepreneur, uh, with this idea. You know, I, I believe in you. You just need more time. So... What that looks like today, eight years later, there are now 104 Michaels who are all giving at different levels uh, to support the staff and operations. Um, we have people giving at $60,000 a year all the way up to uh, Michael and his wife who continue to give at $2 million a year now. So 104 people basically make all of Charity Water possible. They make the 100% model possible. And they've made it possible for 700,000 donors to have given uh, in this pure way where all their money goes to the field. Wow, that's, that's, that's an amazing, amazing result. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a tremendous uh, sum of money and it's, it's obviously served as a foundation for for, for, the, for, the, for, the, for all the other funds and fund and uh, supporters. Um, what, what, I'll, I'll say one, you know, yeah. just one other thing about that. You know, the, those 104 people, uh, it, it's, not, it's not like they had to be cajoled into that. They love it. They love supporting the staff, the operations. You know, they, they meet uh, the people that work at Charity Water. These are some of the most extraordinary people. People who have left Twitter, they've left Google, they've left Zynga, uh, they left um, Adobe, amazing companies, taken massive pay cuts often, given up equity, uh, given up stock options to come and work in service of those without clean water. So it's really a joy for those 104 people, not, you know, oh, wow, I'm giving to the overhead of the organization. They, they, are, they are investors, they are our visionary kind of guardians of this model. Many of them get their companies involved, many of them uh, provide advice, strategic advice, um, put ideas into, into the organization. So it's, yeah. it's a really kind of exciting program. No, I, I, I'm very mindful of the point you make that it's not uh, applicable to everybody and that certain caution is required in terms of thinking about this. But how, what, what are a few things, questions that uh, somebody should ask themselves to see whether this kind of approach might work for them in, and, and uh, this particularly this kind of fundraising? And, and what are a few things that they should bear in mind in order to make this a success? 
I would just say, you know, is the problem that you're trying to solve reinventing the way people interact with charity? Because <laughs> that was really where we started. Water became our, our issue. But, you know, at the core, the core problem we were trying to solve was, hey, there are a ton of people out here who could be giving, who could be generous, who could be serving others, but they don't trust. You know, the establishment uh, in their mind has betrayed them. So, you know, I would say if, you're, if your problem that you're trying to solve is to go and build schools, um, you know, you may not get to scale by having a 100% model. Uh, I would go and I'd just be trans. I, I, I think what I most believe people want is just to be transparent. Donors are over, open to many different value propositions. If I t- told your listeners right now that the greatest need of Charity Water was for someone to pay the heating bill uh, so that our employees wouldn't be cold, you know, who were working out of this office, or that we needed a toner for our copier, you know, those are excruciating overhead costs, right? Copiers and toners or the heating bill. But there would be a bunch of your listeners that would run to write that check to meet a need as long as they know where the money is going. So I think my advice to, you know, the the people that are starting, um, whether they're social entrepreneurs, whether they're charity founders, just be transparent. Just tell people where the money is going. If your, you know, overhead is 20%, then just be upfront with people and tell them that you're going to put 80% of their money uh, in programs and 20% to run your organization. Uh, I think it's the lack of knowing that has really plagued uh, the sector and, and tainted it for so many people. Yes, absolutely. And this question of this transparency, um, obviously a lot's happened and uh, charities are becoming more transparent and there's various uh, impact uh, assessments and things like that you know that, that going on what's your sense of 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 what uh, what's happening there and how how important how challenging uh, is it to 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 get that degree of transparency throughout the organization well we just keep kind of pushing it forward um, on our end you know we have all these these water projects out there we have wells and springs and rainwater harvesting systems and you know we know where they all are but we took it a level farther last year, and we said, you know, we know that your well is working on day one. We've got photo proof of that, but we want to know that it's working a couple years later or five years later or seven years later. And we also don't want to spend the money to go and visit, you know, 10,000-plus water projects every single year. That would just be completely cost-prohibitive. So we, uh, we began to, to say, well, what if we could solve this problem through technology? And we approached Google.org with a a crazy idea. We said, what if we could build a sensor that we could put in our water projects around the world? And every time, you know, the the well or the the spring is being pumped, uh, it would deliver a message back to us in New York and let us know the project is working and uh, exactly how much water is flowing. I think this was uh, just a crazy. We said, "Oh, by the way, we you know we'll need to figure out how to power it, how to transmit, you know, how to make the the, the battery or, or the solar panel last a long time." And by the way, we want to make it for about a hundred bucks, so that it's affordable and we can share this knowledge with the entire water sector and even the governments of these countries. So I think it was a crazy enough idea for Google. They wound up writing us a, a five million dollar check, uh, which. That uh, was tied for the largest uh, gift they'd ever given a nonprofit, and we spent uh, about two years working with 20 different labs to develop this sensor. So we have one now. We're very excited. It works. Uh, we're about to go into production with 4,000 to start, 
Uh, and that's kind of just the next level of transparency for us to know in real time not only that our projects were built and that the money was well spent, but that they're continuing to serve the communities over time. So I think it just takes a, it kind of takes a, a value, you know, and, and a, you know, there are a lot of reasons why we shouldn't do this. You know, you could make a, a, a business case of why transparency um, would be bad. Uh, it's only bad news that we're going to get back from our sensors. In the absence of information, every well works 100% of the time forever until a sensor tells you that no water is flowing. But because of the organization's value, you know, because we really want to do the right thing, you know, we're not there just to send pretty pictures to the donor. We're here to continue impacting the lives uh, of people with clean water, you know, for, for many years to come. So we're doing that because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the relationship with donors there and it's something that um, some interviewees have talked about and a particular charity that's become a social social uh, entrepreneur or a social enterprise, um, a particular charity that's become a social enterprise talked about this. Uh, for them, what was attractive was they felt that they were trying to fit uh, into particular boxes of what the donor was looking for rather than uh, having the ability to really design programs and deliver uh, value to the people on the ground what they really needed and they felt that that was a challenge um, and I, people talk about I suppose this question of educating the donors and so forth uh, to what the reality is on the ground I mean how important is that and, and what what lessons are there there you know I think we've tried to keep things pretty simple uh, at the top there is tons of information uh, for donors that want more complexity. You know, we realize that people are busy. So, you know, I, th I feel like a lot of charities kind of will hit a donor with everything. You know, hey, please read this 88-page document about the, um, you know, sustainability of projects in rural Malawi and communities living on less than a dollar a day. We have those documents. Uh, our team uses them. But, you know, <laughs> that's kind of not how we first approach a donor. And... I think we start with, with simpler stories, simpler true stories, and then for the donor that wants to get deeper with the organization, you know, we're an open book. Um, we post all of our financials, all of our audit reports, uh, our independent audit reports, you know, are online. So there are hours and hours and hours and hours of content uh, that somebody could, could explore. Um, but most people don't have the time for it, and most people don't have, you know, frankly, the interest uh, level. Right, right. But by making the information available rather than, I guess, pushing it in their face, but that they know that they can find it if necessary. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I, I forget the exact stat, but uh, I, I saw it was a New York Times article uh, not too long ago about, I think it was the World Bank's website, and they took a look at uh, all of the PDFs that you know were on the World Bank website. And, you know, there's tons of very dense content that's written by some of the smartest people in the world. I think they found that 70% had never been downloaded once. You know, imagine that. You know, imagine having a million documents online and 700,000 of them never having even been viewed once. Um, so I think that just kind of speaks to, you know, maybe maybe the old way. <laughs> um, people aren't looking to download documents and, and read through, you know, 100-page reports. They, they want a story told and they want to be able to understand it um, in a way that's respectful of their time. Right, right. And uh, I know, um, not to... Um 
to criticize other organizations or so forth, but generically, do you, are there a couple of things when it comes to communication with stakeholders generally that uh, you think uh, nonprofits could, could do better? Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked. I hate the, um, it's kind of what we call the poverty porn. Uh, you know, the banner ads with the kids and the fly on the face and, you know, the TV commercials where the child locks eyes with you in slow motion and then the, you know, the number flashes on the bottom of the screen. Uh, you know, we, we, so much of the sector has engaged in guilt-based marketing because it works. Uh, I don't think that's how you build a brand. If Nike tried to make you feel guilty about being fat uh, or about being lazy or about not exercising enough, if their entire approach was, you know, buy our running clothes, you lazy bum, and get your butt in shape, uh, no one is going to buy their running clothes. You know, Nike has taken a completely different approach saying, you know, you've got within you something you don't even know. It's powerful. You can achieve the impossible. You're better than you think you are. You know, get out there and, and, and just start. And you'll you'll blow yourself away with your capacity, with your right. So I think that's kind of the the, the positioning that we've taken. Uh, we have um, we have our values at Charity Water, and then we have these things called isms. You know, you know you're at Charity Water if if you hear this conversation, if you if you observe this behavior. So one of those isms is it's about opportunity and not guilt. We want to we're not afraid of talking about some of the harsh reality that we're seeing out there, but we want to invite people into the story. We want to give them an opportunity and not try to guilt them in. It should be a joy to give. It should be a joy to use our influence and our affluence in the service of others, whether it's with our time, whether it's with our talent, whether it's with our money. Um, and, and it should not be, you know, uh, we shouldn't be guilted. We shouldn't have to be guilted or shamed into that. Um, so that's, uh, I think, I know some of these charities uh, have been doing it for years. I think it's destroying their brand, and they don't know it. Nobody wants to wear, you know, a T-shirt with a charity that has made them feel horrible for, for 10 years. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of people that might wear a T-shirt of, of a charity that has invited them into a giant problem being solved and is celebrating those wins and celebrating the members of the community that are um, achieving those successes. That's a very interesting uh, perspective, and I, 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 the, I think there's a lot of truth there um, in, in terms of, uh, as you say, the opportunities looking f forward, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I, I'm mindful of the time, and uh, I, I, a couple of uh, uh, technical questions, if I might. <laughs> um, I, I, one or two of the uh, in, 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 social entrepreneurs I interviewed uh, said, uh, forwarded a couple of questions, and I just to see see what your thoughts are. Um, one of them is the whole question about sanitation, and somebody was asking about um, that, saying sanitation is really important, um, and but that uh, wondering wh wh why you're not focused, or to what extent you are focused on sanitation. Yes, we are. Sanitation is a part of, of Charity Water Projects. Uh, almost all uh, Charity Water Projects have not only sanitation but also hygiene components. Um, again, I kind of mentioned that's that layer um, a little deeper. We don't lead with toilets. We don't lead with hand washing. You know, we really lead with the, the basic need of clean water. Um, but we're very, very uh, familiar with 
um, the the need for the complete wash it's, it's called a wash packet you know water sanitation and hygiene to actually transform the lives of communities you know uh, I, I saw some data once that, that looked at just the disease reduction from three solo indicators and they found that if you washed your hands only uh, you could reduce disease by about 45 percent get sanitation only it was about 35 percent and water only was actually the lowest 25 percent However, water gives you the opportunity to go into community and talk about sanitation and hygiene. So we found that water is the starting place, not sanitation and not hygiene, which is why we um, kind of have, have started there with our messaging. Um, I mean, gosh, I have, I have unbelievable sanitation stories just from my travels to our work around the field. Uh, it's been a lot of time in Arissa, India, where um, our partner there, our local partner, Graham Vitus, a 35-year-old organization, has really been using sanitation, water, and, and hygiene to break down the, the caste barriers there. And uh, Joe Madiat is the, the leader of this org, and he saw many, many, many years ago his grandfather feed one of the workers uh, from the Dalek class uh, from a hole in the ground. And Joe said to his grandfather, you know, Grandfather, why on earth would you be feeding someone like a dog? And his grandfather says, well, because they are dogs. And something in him just snapped, and he started this organization. And he will go in uh, and force 100% water inclusion, sanitation inclusion, and hygiene on a village. And because of the fast, uh, because of the caste system, 90% of the villages will immediately reject his offer. Uh, as different castes say, well, we won't share water, or we won't uh, share toilets. Uh, so he'll actually walk away, and he'll let them deliberate, and he'll work in the 10%, and enough of the impact of his work has spread that villages would break down and break down after years of discussion, some even a decade of you know, holding out, drinking dirty water, um, and, and, and not having access to sanitation. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge component. I'm, I'm extremely passionate about sanitation and the data behind it. Um, it's different in every country. In, in Bangladesh, we're doing water at schools and gates is funding the sanitation. So we've, we've basically found a partner for all of the sanitation costs, or I guess you could say gates has found a partner in us and the water costs. Um, but every single school you know, that, that we're working there you know, not only has access to clean water, but also uh, latrines for girls and latrines for boys. Excellent. That's very, very interesting. Thank you. Uh, what's your vision then, finally, for the next five years or ten years, or how, how do you look at your vision? Over what time frame are you thinking? Well, I kind of have two hundred million numbers uh, going around in my head. There's, there's a hundred million people served, and we've really focused on the rural poor. Uh, a lot of people are doing work in the urban areas and the, the peri-urban areas. Uh, the, the problem is getting better. So the, the lack of uh, the, the number of people without access to water has been dropping. And what we're seeing is the last mile, the people that are just not getting served by the government, that are so far at the bottom of the list, they're the, they're the farmers. Uh, they're the women that are walking five hours a day. They're the rural farmers. So we've picked kind of 100 million people um, of, of that bottom segment, and we've only funded projects for 5 million of them. So we're 5% of that goal. Um, organizationally, we did about $44 million uh, in this past year, and kind of a big stepping stone to that is, is $100 million a year. Um, what's, what's important about that is it shows that we have, we have built a different business. It's not an incremental business, and uh, where we're looking for, for the scale 
It is not to the big companies, it's not to the big foundations, although we've been blessed to partner with many of those. It's really through individuals. And something I'll just touch on you know, before we end is this, this birthday program we have. Um, we have people to, uh, we've had thousands and thousands of people celebrate their birthday by giving it up. Uh, donating a birthday to Charity Water. And instead of asking for gifts, instead of throwing themselves a party, uh, they ask for their age in dollars or pounds or euros. So seven-year-olds ask for seven pounds, and 31-year-olds ask for 31 euros in, in France. And uh, We have a 78-year-old who's fundraising right now on the 78th birthday. We've got 89-year-olds. We've got six-year-olds. It's just kind of a, a very simple idea. Our birthdays, uh, as a donation, uh, where our friends and families can support our birthday uh, in the service of those who, who don't even have clean water. So that's, that's an idea that's been spreading. It's an idea that we're looking to spread. Uh, everybody has a birthday, right? So, you know, your, your kind of available market there is, is in the billions. People have birthdays every single year. And we would make the, uh, the contention that people don't need any more crap. You don't need a tie. You don't need a handbag. You don't need a wallet. You don't need an Amazon gift card. Uh, you probably have everything you need, and yet there are you know, uh, 750 million people without the most, most basic need met. So if our birthdays can, can help them have more birthdays, uh, we think it's an idea that can really, really spread. So uh, it, it's just helping more people. It's getting more people involved in the mission. Um, if anybody was interested in that, uh, we have a simple kind of page where people can actually pledge and join that movement at uh, charitywater.org slash birthdays. Um, I think I've done six now uh, in a row, and it's it's a blast. Wow, it's a great idea. Uh, I, I do some work for an organization called Sophie, which is uh, it's about uh, excellence and fundraising, and they have uh, this conference every year, which is I wish I thought of that, which focuses on the best fundraising ideas, um, and like Movember, and just you know from around the world, the great Amnesty ones and so forth, um, and and ideas that 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 um, are are. are translate very quickly or, or pass uh, and grow so that that definitely sounds like one of those ideas very simple uh, elegant um, clear and and you know uh, and as you say open to everyone <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, excellent. So that that's that's been really interesting, Scott. And and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about the great work that you're doing. Uh, wish you the very best of success uh, over the coming years. And um, thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.